137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and good evening. This is the 2020 Halloween special, baby. I think it's episode 166, but I forgot to look. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine if we're doing this for another 500 episodes, and it's 666. Motherfucker, we already talked about that while like, you were yelling at somebody in the background that we're going to be on until we're 70 and our fucking teeth are falling out. Yeah, okay? but just so imagine. Be fucking prepared. Imagine if we did that, and imagine if it fell on All Hallows' Eve again. Wouldn't that be weird? Oh, that'd be awesome. Our five, our 500th anniversary. Wait, we're Halloween. acting like this is on Halloween right <laughs> I now. I mean, it will be. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know what? I was going to ask you guys. I'll probably drop this on Halloween. It's supposed to be out Friday, but... I mean, hell, it's going to be a long episode, so why not just drop it on Saturday on Halloween? Yeah. Um, the listeners, you'll know. If I get all the editing done that I need to, you'll get it on Friday. If not, you'll get it on Saturday. Yeah, so don't try happy. to be coy. Hey, this is for Halloween. Let's make a special. This is like, oh, shit, this could be one extra day to play Call of Duty. <laughs> I know you're going to play some Call of Duty. There is a sweet Halloween uh, yeah, add-on right now. No, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of uh, production value in this episode. Joe helped me out with the intro, so I want to, uh, at the top, give a big shout-out to Joe and uh, just say thanks for your help, man. I really appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. I think everyone's really going to enjoy it. But uh, how are you guys? Anything new and exciting going on? Um, For me, I just watched... An incredible docu-series. Called Borat. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> yeah, Borat. Borat 2 or whatever you want to call a subsequent movie film, whatever. It's amazing. Hilarious. Definitely recommend it. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> the, I know that the many docu- or the docu-series I watched on HBO, The Vow, about the Nexium cult. Phenomenal Ooh, yeah. docu-series. And today, 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 today. As we're typing and typing, talking right now <laughs> on October 27, 2020, Keith Raniere was sentenced to 120 years in federal prison. His little oh, wow. psycho babble bullshit manipulation hypnotherapist shit yeah. out the window. And that was a leader of that Nexium mm-hmm. cult, right? So um, that's all anybody knows so far. The other uh-huh. person, the there's like three other people that were involved in cases and I think none of them have been sentenced yet, which tells you dun, 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 they took a plea bargain and they turned evidence yeah. against him, well, which makes yeah. sense I mean, because they're all they're all they're all twisted. Don't get it wrong, but they are yeah, all yeah, they're all fucking like insane. The tagline of people. the vow is nobody goes out looking to join a cult. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, nobody. And the sub, the yeah, subtitle is. Yes, they're all guilty. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like you kind of, I don't know. You, you really need to watch it because it does make you think that like, you know, you, you want to, you want to judge these people that did this terrible shit. Mm-hmm. And when they give excuse after excuse, you know, their leader, their chosen one, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to show empathy towards that, but. Yeah. And I mean, kind of in their defense, I've never watched or researched a cult that didn't have the leader not be some fucking charismatic public speaker. Yeah. 
you know, those people, they, they know what they're doing and they are a master of their craft. I'm not sticking up for them. I'm just saying. Well, like, I think, I think the, inter- the interesting thing about a cult is, or cults in general is that I think that the leaders actually do think they're doing a good thing. And I think most of them start out doing a good thing, uh-huh. trying to better people and better life and, you know, thinking of a better society for people to have joy and happiness. But then <laughs> people have God complexes. The human brain is a sure. powerful and crazy. Have we ever thing. Uh, <clears throat> tackled cults on an episode? Like just slowly cults? Yeah, I mean, I've I've thought I brought that I up to Sean should. even we before do this docu series came out. I think I think that'd be a, that'd be fun ones to do. At the end of that episode, do you want to start a cult? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Picks are Jack of all trades. So, I mean, I get, it's nothing. You know, one more thing to mark off my list, baby. <laughs> God, bruise his own beer, started a cult. <laughs> well, you already joined one, so you're halfway there. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> this is low hanging fruit, bro. <laughs> Big shout out to all the Masons who are listening right now. There's uh, in that documentary they talk about the Masons. Oh, really? Yeah, they because they reference that they're like they're like. Uh, because they were like, Nexium is just like trying to bring people together and bring them joy. Uh, and then they kind of referenced the Masons and like, <laughs> and they were like, they do, they do good things for communities and that's what we're doing too. But I don't know a lot about Masons. I've been in a couple times into the uh, Shriners, uh, the, the Oasis and the Temple. I'm pretty sure the Masons aren't outright on top all about fucky fucky sex magic either. And branding no, people that, that's, uh, into that's, sex cults. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can attest to that. None of that is going on. It's strictly a guys' club that you wouldn't tell to us. make the community a better place. You wouldn't and tell all us. Honest... I'll just have to infiltrate again, like it did last time. All, all joking aside, <laughs> that that seriously, all masonry is that we we're, we're just trying to make other men better, um, so that we can make the community and surrounding area better. So, um, yeah, that's all I got. There you go. I, cool, I will man. never forget being up there in the Oasis Lounge and Preston and his brother just stroll up there. And it was just like I just shit in the in the birthday cake punch. I didn't belong there. I shouldn't have been there. And it was the absolute best thing that ever happened. I had a design, uh, a design <laughs> client. I, I, I was I think helping. Jason was more irritated that you got in like what the fuck makes him so i was just more amazed like oh shit you made it past the front door like jason was the one that was seriously <laughs> irritated i was door. just like well shit i gotta buy the motherfucker a drink now like it's security at the white house or something <laughs> well i mean it, it to to be fair it is a locked door and you have to either have, i don't know how to get in i just i had my way dude he well, fucking okay, went in there like wayne of wayne's world i don't okay i'm not trying to be like a charismatic <laughs> douchebag here's how i got in um to save his name, I'll keep him uh, anonymous, to meet my design client. He's like, yeah, just come on in upstairs, and I'll just meet you at the bar. And I said, okay, cool. And so I'm walking up there, and I try to open the door, and it's locked. And I'm like, shit, I can't get in. And so, like, I'm walking around trying to find another entrance. And then the guy at the door kind of looked at me for a second and waved. And I was like, oh, hey, hold on one second, because I didn't want to be like, oh, I don't belong here. So I, I pulled my phone out and acted like I'm talking on my phone. And then I waited for somebody else to walk in, and they walked in, and they opened the door, and I was like, oh, hey, hold that real quick. Hang on a second. And I had my phone to my ear, and I pulled my phone down right as I reached out to grab the door, and I was like, God, I'm running late. Don't you hate that? Car wouldn't start. Oh, anyway, I won't go on. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 totally. And then the, the guy at the door kind of looked at me, and I was like, hey, hey, and kind of gave him a wave and just kind of walked hold up on, the stairs. Hold on, stop. 
That's how easy it is. That's how easy it is to get into your Shriner Temple. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to give a shout out to a listener or a couple listeners. First of all, um, I ran into uh, Preston. You don't know him, but Steve, I ran into Kyle, Cody's brother, mm-hmm. uh, to save their last name. And I ran into him this weekend, and we were talking, and he kind of had a chuckle, and he's like, I got to tell you this, man. Um, I think he said he was at work, and this guy came up to him, and he's like, Kyle, hey, you like podcasts, right? I got a podcast that you're going to love. They talk about, like, paranormal stuff and just weird shit. Um, and it's actually, it's by a guy who's from El Dorado. And uh, anyway, it's called Pixelated Paranormal, and I think it's right up your alley, dude. And Kyle just laughed in his face and was like, dude, first of all, I've known Sean since I was in grade school. <laughs> and second of all, I've been listening for a very long time. So <laughs> I had a pretty good chuckle. So I it's am pretty awesome. famous now. And then in, in the chat, I put Brian from Breakfast Club <laughs> when he's <laughs> high with the sun, sunglasses. Yeah. He's like flexing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, he had, it's cool. He had nice things to say about the show. So uh, I really appreciate that. So yeah. That's and awesome. that's a little shout out to Cody and Kyle. The Cody. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, let's get things started. Uh, first of all, Preston, what are you drinking, man? Let's have a toast to Halloween. What are you sipping on tonight? I'm sipping on a uh, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company's Wild Little Thing, which is a slightly sour ale from uh, guava, hibiscus, and strawberry. Oh, nice. Uh, Steve, go ahead and put your hipster glasses on. I'm drinking a... <clears throat> 2015 Avery Brewing Bourbon Barrel Aged Pumpkin Porter. Ooh, I got a rumpy in the fridge. Maybe I should crack that open next. That sounds like you need a cream. I got got a rumpy in the fridge. Trust me, listeners. You're not the only one rolling your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, right? I know, I'm a classy bastard. I didn't even realize, but this shit's a 2015, boys, five-year-old pumpkin porter. Cool. Did you polish off all that German beer I left you? No, I still got like three of them left. Oh. I'm drinking no. on that Galaxy Juggernaut and some water. <laughs> what the fuck is a Galaxy Juggernaut? If you have to ask, you is can't that an afford X-Men it. Character? <laughs> if you have to ask, your body's not ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. All right, guys. Anyway, happy Halloween, first and foremost. Uh, it's our favorite yeah. time of year. And so we thought we'd talk about perhaps one of the Best and greatest scary monsters of all time, the werewolf. Oh, oh. oh. werewolves in London. So, before we get started, do you guys have any? Uh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite werewolf movie? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, well, I guess uh, the what was the one with the Nazis that was just? Remember that? Remember that movie that was not so long ago? It was very violent. It was about Nazi Germany, and there's like a wolf in the woods. No, but I'm intrigued. No, yeah, I want to know. I know there was a movie yeah. called Dog Soldiers that uh, Tony and I both love. Hold on. About um, uh, some soldiers that were werewolves. You're not talking I mean, about my... werewolf in, American Werewolf in London, are you? No. My favorite uh, werewolf mov- uh, movie is um, Brotherhood of the Wolf, but fuck Sean because he didn't like it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, that will come up at the end of the episode. Ba-bam. That's the uh, Antonio Banderas movie, right? It, oh, yeah. No. Uh, mine's Teen Wolf. You know the uh, Wolfman with um, oh shit, what Benicio del Toro his... and uh, Anthony yes. Hopkins. Yes, um, I have the unrated version of that, and it's a slow Over burn, Lord. but I actually enjoyed that movie. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty solid. Okay, what was it, Steve? Overlord. Overlord. Yeah. Oh yeah, I haven't so, finished that yet. Produced by J.J. Abrams, the Bad Robot. You know, 
Uh, plot yeah. follows several American soldiers oh, who drop Hold on, Overlord. I own that movie, and there's no fucking werewolves in that. It's they're all like, zombies. Oh, they zombies. Okay, I thought they were. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, this says they're secret Nazi experiment experiments. Okay, I thought they were like werewolves. Either way, it's a dope ass movie, and you should watch it. There you go. Oh all yeah, right. totally. It's violent as shit. It's just not werewolf related. <laughs> yeah. Get the fuck off this podcast. You're fired. See, I, werewolves are the same way with me, man. Same way with vampires. I'm not really cool with either one of them. They don't really you intrigue me that much. So, oh, that's too good. Here is that's too good. the episode that you <laughs> to convince me of why werewolves are tight. Okay, I can do it. I werewolves think I can do it. Tight. I will do it in an hour and 30 minutes or less. So doing the research for this episode, I wanted to kind of figure out, like, what's the oldest werewolf story that's ever been told? What is, like, the very first, holy shit, if you get bit by a wolf, you become a wolfman story in human history? And surprisingly enough, it wasn't, you know, the 13th and 14th centuries. This thing goes all the way back to ancient Greece and actual Greek mythology. So to start things off, we've got a great intro here, recorded, produced, performed by myself and my good buddy Joe, so let's kick things off. The land of Arcadia was a mystical place, full of happiness, peace, and prosperity. The inhabitants grew prosperous and enjoyed a life of luxury without the fear of war or violence. But as it often does, man's greed and envy of Arcadia brought war to the land and destroyed the great place it once was viewed as a utopia. In need of a great leader to return Arcadia to its former glory, a man stepped forward by the name of Lycaon, a notoriously violent man who, despite his former atrocities, vowed to restore Arcadia to its former glory. Through his good deeds and steadfast example, Lycaon not only captured the attention and devotion of his people, but also proved to the gods he was now an honorable man who desired only peace and comfort for the people of Arcadia. This pleased Zeus, who then tipped the hands of fate towards Arcadia, aiding Lycaon in his quest to better Arcadia. However, in his thirst for power and the drive to seek out ethereal blessings, unknown to his people, as he had once done during his more formidable years, Lycaon had broken the sacred law set forth by Zeus himself and once again began practicing human sacrifice. As a way to not only gain the blessings of Zeus, but also to catch the attention of all the other gods. I dedicate this offering to the gods. I call upon your blessings. Witness my devotion. Angered by the news of Lycaon's atrocious acts of savagery, Zeus had disguised himself as a traveler and sought refuge in Arcadia to see if the rumors of Lycaon's human sacrifice might just be true. But you see, Lycaon was no fool and surrounded himself with others who were just as cunning, one of which being his son, who quickly realized the strange traveler was behaving oddly, and soon deduced it was none other than Zeus himself, not some weary traveler seeking a place to sleep and a meal. Lycaon, 
uh, my lord, I have the faint suspicion that this traveler is no, no mere mortal. Instead, I believe he is none other than, none other than Zeus himself, uh, calling upon us to, to test our devotion. This only provoked Lycaon, and he quickly devised a plan that he was sure to impress the god of gods. Quickly, fetch me a slave from the prison. End his life, quietly, mind you, and deliver the body to me. No one must see you, especially the traveler. That afternoon, King Lycaon held a great celebration in the temple of the gods, and he served his people and the traveler with a grand feast, of which the main course was the smoked and prepared body of the murdered slave from that afternoon. As King Lycaon and his sons, along with his wife and the people of Arcadia, devoured the remains of the slave, Zeus grew outraged and shed the disguise, revealing his true identity. You fool! How dare you! This pleased Lycaon, who stood up arrogantly and then proclaimed to Zeus, This, this I have done for you, Lord Zeus, a feast for a king, Worthy for a god. However, this only outraged Zeus furthermore. You think so little of your gods that you thought you could trick me into eating this? Lycaon was offended, but more perplexed by Zeus's reaction. N- no, I didn't try to trick you. I-, I did this for you. And so then you think so little of your fellow man? that you slayed an innocent in attempts to impress me? How little this man's life meant to you, your fellow mortal. No, Zeus. He was nothing more than a slave, a a peasant, and an animal. I prepared this feast to prove my loyalty and gratitude to you. Silence! You have proven nothing to me other than you value no man's life more than your own and you care not for your people. Very well, then. And it was with those words the mighty Zeus cast down a violent storm of lightning, slaughtering all nine of Lycaon's sons, along with his wife. Oh, oh gods! What have you done? Why have you forsaken my children? My wife! You have proven to me that you no longer value the lives of your fellow mortals, And so why should you be surrounded by them, hmm? And with those words, with no warning, Lycaon fell to the floor, clutching his throat as the muscles in his chest began to tighten. And now, shall we address your taste for human flesh? From today on, the next nine years, you shall roam the earth like the dog you are, alone. Wandering through the dirt and mud on your hands like a wolf, searching for its next meal. But let this be known, you are forbidden to consume the flesh of a man for nine years as well. And shall you be tempted to defy me, you shall be a dog for nine years more. Lycaon's body was then ravaged by thick gray fur, his face twisted into a jackal's snout. The flesh of his hands and feet bled as his skin stretched and tore, while long claws sprouted forward from his fingers and his toes. Zeus, now pleased with Lycaon's punishment, watched as a newly transformed Lycaon crawled 
and stumbled across the dirt floor out into the darkness of the night. Half man, half wolf. Lekeon went on to terrorize the recently renewed land of Arcadia, thrusting these peaceful people into a full frenzy, fearing each new day that the vicious man-beast would return to take life or perhaps steal away another child into the night. Countless men lost their lives battling the deformed Lycaon, and once again, Arcadia was lost in a constant state of unrest and savagery. And from then forward, at every full moon, the people of Arcadia would be kept awake at the sounds of Lycaon's crying, sobbing, and screaming into the moonlight, searching for his next meal, forever alone, forever hungry, forever hunting. And so from ancient Greece and Zeus and King Lycaon, we're going to fast forward, oh, probably around mm, early 1500s, okay? So we're all pretty familiar with the Salem Witch Trials, right? We learned about it in school, we've watched countless documentaries, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, all that kind of stuff. The Salem Witch Trials were a series of prosecutions, let's call it what it is, it's actually murders, of people accused of witchcraft in Massachusetts from February 1692 through May of 1693. More than 250 people were accused, 30 were found guilty, 19 of whom were executed by hanging, 14 women and 5 men. Other men, uh, another man named Giles Corey was pressed to death for refusing to plead guilty, and at least 5 other people died in jail among other atrocities. Well guys, the Salem witch trials as terrible as they were are small potatoes next to what happened in France. During the period of roughly 1520 to 1630, France experienced their own version of the Salem Witch Trials and executions, but it wasn't witches they were after and prosecuting and murdering. It was werewolves. For 110 years, 30,000-plus people were accused of being werewolves, tortured in exchange for their confessions or lack of admission of guilt two of which would die at the stake and other different means. As awful as this mass hysteria would be, the panic that was created persisted long after these trials. So if you go all the way back to even ancient Greece and Rome, thanks to our friends Zeus and Lycaon, it was thought that one of the best ways to cure somebody who suffered from lycanthropy was to physically exhaust them. So first, to cure you of being a werewolf, we would just work your ass to death or give you a very extreme workout. And then when you finally got down to the point of exhaustion, presto changeo, you're no longer a werewolf. By the Middle Ages, though, the cures had become even more creative, oftentimes which would be painful and in many cases fatal. The victim would be given an herbal remedy called wolf's bane or aconite in hopes of a cure. It's pretty powerful, and if you spread it on your skin, it acts like a local anesthetic. But if you apply it internally, it can slow your pulse down and reduce your heart rate. But if you take too large of a dose, it will also kill you. The wolf could also be exercised out of you, involving a lengthy religious exorcism, many prayers, and various forms of surgery. 
such as having nails driven through your hands and feet, and sometimes even having a knife driven into your forehead. So back in France during the 16th century, those 30,000 souls accused of being werewolves were known as the Loup Guru, and we've talked about them. The Loup Guru also is, isn't that the uh, the werewolf in Louisiana? Uh, it's very, it's uh, very similar. It's a uh, Luguru. That's the Ruguru. My bad, baby. Yeah. My bad. Okay, cool. That's but I mean, it comes from that word, so they the sound roof. very similar. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Wasn't too far off. I just about lost my uh, paranormal card there. <laughs> and although there was a lot of strong evidence against the Loop Guru, some of the accused had been proven they were murderers, and in a small number of cases, even cannibals. Most of these unfortunate souls, however, were simply innocent people who had come under the suspicion and the fire of their asshole neighbors, and thus they were arrested and in most cases murdered. Now, this next bit here comes from Exemplar.com. The legend of the werewolf really takes off in Europe during the Middle Ages, where there were many different versions of the folktales surrounding this supernatural creature, depending on which country or region you were in. Most of the stories agree that while an animal form, a werewolf or lycanthrope, looked pretty similar to a, the real wolves that roamed the great forests and steppes of Europe at the time, howling through the snowstorms on winter's night, except for the fact that they did not have tails, they kept their human eyes and could speak in their normal human voices. So fuck you, Hollywood. You've pretty much gotten that wrong on every single werewolf movie that I've ever seen. <laughs> Steve, it reminds me of that little Dicky Pillow Talk video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was said that there were also features and traits that could give away a werewolf when it was in its human form, such as having heavy eyebrows that met... Eugene in, Levy? Yeah, in the middle. <laughs> pretty much, you know, every you know pubescent boy. Ears that were set low on the head... Curiously curved fingernails or a loping gait. <laughs> a funny walk. A funny <laughs> walk. There you go. Yeah. It would seem that even in human form that the lycanthrope could not completely hide its fur as uh, any checking under the tongue would reveal long animal hairs. And also, if you cut its skin, you would be able to spot wolf fur in the wound. The fate of any human who was reckless were stupid enough to start looking in the mouth or uh, carving chunks out of suspected werewolves has not been recorded. <laughs> not, not only were medieval folk terrified of being attacked by a werewolf, they were also scared that they would be turned into one, thus losing their soul and being turned away from the comforts of heaven forever. Beliefs on how you could be turned also differed, ranging from being cursed, stripping off your clothes, and putting on a belt made from wolf skin or by rubbing a magic uh, salve onto your body. I mean, I'd fucking risk that. I mean, if I had like a bad itch or some drip dick and, the, you know, the drip local dick. witch oh, was I like, you know, here you go, rub this on your body, fuck. Good I mean, what's news, the worst Preston, we're going to get rid of your syphilis. Yeah. Bad news? But you're going to turn into a little solve in your nets. Yeah. <laughs> there was also belief in countless, or uh, there was also belief in countries such as France, Italy, and Germany that if you slept out in the open on some Wednesdays or Friday nights in the summer with the light of a full moon bathing your face with its gentle luminosity, then you too would transform into a wolf. It the was band? during the Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah, it was during the Middle Ages that the association between transforming into a lycanthrope. And the time of the full moon was made, 
and an English chronicler named uh, Gervais of Tilbury mentions in his compendium of medieval marvels and curiosities called Ota Imperiala. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we'll go with it. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> hey, it's your boy Joe Bob out here in the woods, sitting in my cabin and rubbing some big Dobbs beard balm in my beard. Old Betty Bradford was about to give me a piece of her pumpkin pie, and soon we will be recreating a scene of Seduced by Bigfoot, Ravaged by a Yeti. <laughs> If you know what I'm saying. So go on over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Now, that's not why I'm here tonight interrupting the Halloween special. I've been told the boys from Pixelated Paranormal are going to be talking about werewolves. Now, if you find yourself getting ready to lay some whipped cream on a piece of pie on a full moon and you're wondering if your old lady... Is indeed one of them werewolf thingies. Rest assured, old Joe Bob's got some tips for you. First off, don't panic. That's very important. Second, you're gonna wanna use a Kadarian dagger, or maybe just a plain old hunting knife, whatever you got, and cut away a piece of skin. Now, if you find a big old tuft of hair under that wound, like a big old Mississippi mousetrap, you, my friend, are dealing with the werewolf. Now let's say you don't have a knife. Well, Joe Bob, just what in the hell am I gonna do? Gently, my friends, open your lady friend's mouth and look under her tongue. If you see some bristles growing under that thing, the only thing, and I mean only thing you can do is put some shotgun shells with some silver buckshot in your trusty old boomstick and shove that thing straight down that cake hole and kapow! You done bagged yourself a werewolf, and a job well done. But if bagging werewolves ain't your thing, just sit back, relax, and pour yourself a cold one and enjoy the show. So with all due respect, and as atrocious as it was that 30,000 people were murdered, we're not really going to stay here and talk about France too much, because you guys aren't really here for the stories about people who weren't werewolves. Steve, you especially, you don't want to hear about all this shit, people getting murdered for being innocent little, you know, common folk. No, you want the dirt. You want the murder. So let's get down on some of the real monsters that were truly monsters. Cool. And these are going to be cases of people who were actually tried and found to be guilty of being werewolves during the <laughs> werewolf witch trials. Oh my god! I didn't know they had you, werewolf witch trials or werewolf yeah, trials man. too. You scoff, but I'm gonna I'm gonna change your mind, pal. So first up, we have Pierre Burgot and Michael Verdun, the werewolves of Poligny. All in all, there were three men accused of being lycanthropes in France in 1521. Someone was said to be traveling through the area when they were attacked by a wolf. The traveler injured the wolf and then tracked it back to Michael Verdun's house, where Verdun was found dripping with blood. He was then arrested and under the torture not only confessed to being a werewolf, but implicated his friend Pierre Burgot and Philibert Montaut 
Burgoat in turn confessed and told the tale of making a deal with three mysterious men dressed in black to protect his sheep. Burgoat said he'd only found out later the deal entailed renouncing God and his baptism. He said in the years that followed, Michael Verdun gave him an ointment that turned him into a wolf, and together they killed at least two children. It's not clear whether or not Philibert Montaut ever confessed, but he was executed along with the other two as the werewolves of Polygny. So did the ointment, uh, was that for drip dick, you think? I don't (laughs) know. It doesn't say here, Preston. Um, (laughs) You might try pop-up videos. Pop-up videos. (laughs) See what you can find there. Maybe YouTube. Yeah, you might YouTube it. (sighs) Drip dick ointment turned into werewolf, question mark. You're going to get the weirdest porn. (laughs) (laughs) The werewolves of Bumden. Okay, the next case involves a man called Giles Garnier. Giles. Who became Giles, known as... dude. Like Buffy, oh, bro. I say Giles? Shit. Giles Garnier, who became known as... <laughs> Garnier? It's Garner, bro. <laughs> no, it's Garnier. It's French, dude. <laughs> don't, try to, don't try to ham it up, Joe Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> We're in France, man. This is where the fucking shampoo came from. Dirté. Garnier. <laughs> Garnier. <laughs> Garnier Fructis, bro. Yeah. All right, go ahead. <laughs> the next case involves a man named Giles Garnier, who became known as the Werewolf of Dole. He reportedly lived a very solitary life as a hermit, and as his home was so secluded, he had a hard time finding enough food to feed he and his wife. Several children in the district eventually started going missing or were found dead, and in some cases, horribly mutilated. Rumors started going around in the area that a werewolf was on the prowl, and in 1573, a bounty was put upon the wolf's head. One night, a group of workmen came upon what they thought was a wolf savaging a young child. Instead, it turned out to be Giles Garnier, who was duly arrested for his deprivations. During the trial, Giles stated... What? For his deprivations, he was eating a kid. Yes, depravity, bro. <laughs> it's mildly put. Mildly put. What are you in here for? Oh, deprivations. Yeah. What does that mean? I, I ate a kid. Yeah. Oh, you know, First time? deprivations. And he makes a big, like, umbrella <laughs> gesture with his hands. God. <laughs> During his trial of deprivations, Garnier stated that when he was out scavenging for food, one night he'd been approached by a supernatural being who offered to make things a little easier for him to find food for he and his wife. This ghoul had given him a magic salve that would allow him to turn into a wolf if he rubbed it onto his skin, causing him to become much more effective at hunting. Garnier admitted to the court to killing and then devouring the flesh of at least four children, and was found guilty of witchcraft and lycanthropy, among other depravities. He was sentenced to be burned at the stake, for his crimes. Okay, so this this is my first time ever hearing about a werewolf that werewolf's giving you some kind of Self. lotion to put on put on you. To turn Preparation you into H. I didn't know that was a thing. Is this common? Yeah. I see. I didn't know that. I've never yeah, heard that. Some of your more common it puts would be a the salve. lotion on its skin, or yeah. it gets the werewolf again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to say there's a couple of video games. Um, I think Terraria 
they may have changed it, but I want to say in the very beginning, you could get a belt and you put the belt on it, turned you into a werewolf. And that was a throwback to this old idea that if you put on a belt made of wolf skin, it would give you the power of the wolf. Kind of like the foreigner belt from Aqua Teen? Yeah. It'll have you seeing double, double vision. vision. <laughs> God, I love Aqua Teen so much. <laughs> yeah. Up next, we have. Peter Stube, a.k.a. the werewolf of Bedburg. Be- the werewolf of Bedbug. <laughs> <laughs> the story comes from a lurid pamphlet, supposedly a translation from some now lost German original that was circulating in London in 1590. According to the tale told in the pamphlet, Stube, from his youth, was greatly inclined to be evil. He made a deal with the devil, requesting specifically to, quote, work his malice on men, women, and children in the shape of some beast, whereby he might lue with the dread or danger of life and unknown to be the executioner of any bloody enterprise, which he meant to commit heinous crimes. The devil gave him a belt, which being put upon him, he was straight transformed into the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf. Strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in night sparkled into the branches of fire, a mouth great and wide, with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body, and mighty paws. And no sooner should he put the same griddle. Gr- and no <laughs> griddle. And cook his pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> No sooner should he put off the same girdle, but presently he should appear to in his former shape, according to the proportion of a man, as if he had never been changed. The pamphlet begs Stube as a serial killer who murdered and sometimes ate his victims over a 25-year period. He was also accused of incest with his daughter as well as killing and eating his son. Although modern historians speculate that Stube was a real was railroaded for political purposes to calm those who were terrified of demons that they were killing the townspeople. Wow, scapegoat much? No shit. When he was captured, Stoob told all about his deal with the devil and the magic belt that that turned him into a wolf, confessing to murder, incest, and cannibalism. Stoob's execution, which took place... On October 31st, 1589, in Bedburg, Germany, was an exceptionally gruesome process. He was first lashed at the wheel, where the flesh was torn from his body with red-hot pincers. Holy shit. Next, his arms and legs were broken. Then his head was chopped off. Finally, his body was burned at the stake. Stube's girlfriend, a distant relative... (laughs) (laughs) and daughter not the same person both accused of incest maybe they were the same person were also tortured and then burned alive holy shit after the execution a wolf's body was set up in public its head replaced with stubes as if warning to anybody else contemplating lycanthropy yeah I don't think he got back from that one yeah that's some that's some pretty heinous shit that's insane So back then, lycanthropy was thought of to be kind of like witchcraft. You would find, I guess, some dude dressed in black selling fucking Vaseline. (laughs) And you would voluntarily become a werewolf. I think fucking William Wallace got off easier than that guy. Right. (laughs) Oh, man. 
Well, Steve, like I said earlier, you know my favorite werewolf movie, Teen Wolf, the Michael J. Fox comedy from 1985. You know the one. I've seen it. Well, yeah. let's talk. Let's talk about Teen Wolves, shall we? Let's do it. Jean Grenier, or what do you want to pronounce that? Greenier, Steve. Greenier. <laughs> Jean Greenier. Jean Grenier, dubbed the Werewolf of France by historians was around 14 years old when he announced to his village that he had stalked, killed, and eaten some of the local children in the Wait, area. Wait, did he get up like on a pedestal? Townspeople, come here. I have stalked, killed, and eaten children. Yes, little Sue that went missing three weeks ago. It was me. <laughs> like, what? How do you announce Things that to the town? Things were different back then, Steve. Do I? Do I? <laughs> All you had to do was find an empty milk crate, stand on it, and you yeah. had the <laughs> yeah. entire city at your beck and call. Exactly. See, children have been going missing in the area, so Grenier was immediately arrested. Jean Gaboriot, aged 18, deposed that one day when she was tending cattle with Jean in her company, both being servants of a well-to-do farmer, St. Paul-Pierre Combat. He coarsely complimented her as a bonnie lass and vowed that he would marry her. When she asked whom his father was, he said, I'm a priest bastard. <laughs> she remarked that he was shallow and dirty, to which he replied, Ah, that is because of the wolf's skin I wear. He added that a man named Pierre Labarat had given him this pelt, and then when he donned it, he coursed the woods and fields as a wolf. There were nine werewolves of his coven who went to the chase at the waning moon on Mondays, Fridays, and Saturdays, and who would hunt during the twilight and just before dawn. He lusted for the flesh of small children, which were tender, plump, and rare. When hungry in the wolf's shape, he often killed dogs and lapped up their hot blood, which was not as delicious, though, as his taste of that of young boys from whose thighs he would bite great gallops of fat and luscious brawn. Back then, before the separation of church and state, if you committed a crime, you'd have the right to a trial, but you'd be tried and sentenced by primarily church officials. Grenier was declared mentally unfit, and the judges concluded that he had been possessed by a demon, resulting in his lycanthropy. His sentence was to be sent to a monastery to live for the rest of his life. Not so bad. At least he didn't get killed, right? Yeah, that's true. In 1612, a judge in Bordeaux, France, named Pierre de Lancret, wrote a book about bad angels and demons, the Tableau de Inconstance de Mavias Angles et Demons, which was pronounced perfectly, by the way. Within it can be found the extraordinary case <laughs> I mean, of... So you say... Within it was included the extraordinary case of Jean Grenier. A girl by the name of Margrethe Poirier was the first to bring him to the attention of her parents. She stated that, that Jean had repeatedly frightened her and other girls by threatening to eat them. Grenier was described as having thickly matted red hair falling over his shoulders, pale eyes, and large hands with long black fingernails pointed like a bird's talons. His most peculiar characteristic, however, were large canine teeth that protruded from his overhanging lower jaw. <laughs> he just got a little bit of the caveman in him, that's all. <laughs> he's, got, <laughs> he's got a little bit of Neanderthal. Oh, 
it was claimed that Grenier had told Marguerite and others that he had sold his soul to the devil and in return was given the ability to transform into a wolf. The teenage boy had admitted to attacking dogs and little girls in order to feast on their flesh. Disturbingly, the girls were his preference. Their flesh, he said, was a supreme delicacy. At first, her parents disregarded their daughter's stories as youthful fantasy. However, this changed when Marguerite was attacked by Grenier one day and was only able to fight him off after a vicious struggle. After this, the case was taken to the authorities. This caused general fear to spread in the area, for it had been reported that several young girls had recently vanished mysteriously. Grenier was promptly arrested and brought before the Parliament of Bordeaux. His case and testimony were recorded in full. The charge of Marguerite Poirier is correct. My intention was to have killed and devoured her. After several years at the monastery, De Lancre examined Grenier and found the boy. Mm, he was diminutive in stature, very shy and unwilling to look at anyone in the face. His eyes were deep-set and restless, his teeth long and protruding, his nails black as night, and in place worn away, his mind was completely barren. He seemed unable to comprehend the smallest of things. Grenier denied none of the charges and elaborated fully in his crimes. He described how he met a man in the forest who, quote, signed me with his nail and proceeded to give him a salve and a wolf skin. He claimed that it was with these items he was able to transform into a wolf and roam the country. The details of Grenier's crimes were horrific, and he testified to several instances where he had devoured the young, in one horrific instance, he even admitted to having eaten a newborn. He explained that he had committed these heinous acts of cannibalism at the command of his master, the so-called Lord of the Forest. Now, Steve, just like Teen Wolf 2, the sequel to Teen Wolf from 1987, starring none other than Jason Bateman, <laughs> we've got another story here about another Teen Wolf. Hans de Verwolf Hans. was a <laughs> was tried during the werewolf trials of Estonia, with 18 trials accusing 18 men and 13 women of being werewolves over the years. The case of young Hans was perhaps the most famous. Only 18 years old when he was arrested in 1651 on charges of lycanthropy, Hans quickly confessed to the charges brought against him. Hans admitted to having hunted as a werewolf for two years. He told the court of a man in black who bit him shortly before the physical changes had occurred. Many believed this man in black to be the devil, and so this mention of satanic forces qualified the werewolf to be tried as a witch and thus sentenced to death. When asked by the judge whether he felt like man or an animal, Hans replied that he probably, not unlike most 18-year-olds, felt like a wild beast and the changes within him would be measured both physically and metaphysically. Despite there being no physical evidence of any murders committed by Hans, he was sentenced to death simply on the grounds that satanic magic had been performed upon him. So silly. Well, the last story we have for tonight is a long one, and it's from the Smithsonian. So what's interesting here is, yeah, I said Smithsonian, Steve. This story is documented mm. by the Smithsonian. Not hearsay, huh? <laughs> right. 
Now we're going to finish things off tonight where we had began, and perhaps the most famous case of werewolf terror in the case of the French La Bête de Gévaudan, or The Beast of Gévaudan. The beast Very good. Is... I thought you were going to fuck up that pronunciation because I've watched that movie so many times, but you <laughs> fucking nailed it like a rock star. La Bête de Gévaudan. Yeah, take that, Chad, who says I can't pronounce Japanese names. You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) The beast, as history has managed to archive, supposedly killed and partially devoured over 100 people in the span of three years. There had been sightings of werewolves in New France since the 1600s. The creatures must have come over from France, or at the very least, the stories about them did. French settlers brought the werewolf with them, the edges of their empire. In the 1760s, newspapers warned of a werewolf disguised as a beggar, possibly making his way to Montreal. It is recommended to the public to be cautious of him, the editors of the Gazette de Quebec warned, as it would be of a ravenous wolf. That sounds like straight-up racism to me. Yeah, that's what I was, I was like. It's weird. <laughs> you got to look out for the immigrants. I heard they bring werewolves with them. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> so let's talk about the Beast of Gévaudan. Shame on the you, monsters. Canada. You're better than that. <laughs> it's an American move. Oh, The monster's first victim was Jean Boulet, a 14-year-old girl watching her sheep. Her death was followed by others, almost exclusively women and children. Throughout 1764, these brutal attacks, victims with their throats torn out or their heads gnawed off, had riveted France. The violence was so shocking, news of it traveled from the court side, from the countryside all the way to the royal palaces of Versailles. What was the Beast of Gévaudan and who could stop the Reign of Terror? Gévaudan was a region of southern France in modern-day Lazare, and it was just as mysterious as the monster that stalked it. It had a reputation for being a remote, isolated backwater where the forces of nature had not been fully tamed. And there were forests that were indeed enchanted. It was a perfect place for a grim-like fairy tale starring a possibly supernatural creature to occur. But for the villagers under the attack, reality was more brutal than any book. See, in three years' time, the beast had racked up nearly 300 victims, and its legacy lasted far beyond the 18th century alone. France of 1764 was in miserable condition. The Seven Years' War had just ended just a year earlier, with France suffering numerous defeats at the hand of British and the Prussians. The king, Louis XV, had also lost the bulk of his country's overseas empire, including Canada. The economic situation was dire, and the country was in a state of disarray. Despite the carnage the beast wrought, it served as a perfect foe for a nation with something to prove, a country in need of a cause to rally around. The beast and its victims might have actually gone completely unnoticed, if not for a burgeoning press. Because political news was mostly censored by the king, newspapers had to turn to other sources of information and entertainment to bolster subscriptions. Francois Morenus create <laughs> Morenus. 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 Oh. It was it Morenus? And his cousin Morenus. Les Anus. Rick Morenus. <laughs> created 
Creator and editor of the Courier de Avignon used a new type of reporting called Fate Divers, stories of everyday incidents in small villages similar to, to, similar to today's true crime, to tell the tale of the beast. It reminds me of uh, Afterlife with Ricky Gervais. <laughs> they just take the most ridiculous stories and oh. <laughs> put them on the side. <laughs> I need to finish that still. His reportage in particular transformed the beast from a backwater calamity into a national affair. <clears throat> A.K.A. it went viral. Viral, just like the other venereal diseases. <laughs> Which is why we use salves for our triptych. As a head count rose in 1764. <laughs> uh, all this was caused by a shitty doctor. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> As the headcount rose in 1764, local officials and aristocrats took action. Etienne Lafont, a regional government delegate, and Captain Jean-Baptiste Dumal, a leader of a local infantry, organized the first concentrated attack against the beast. At one point, the number of volunteers rose to 30,000 men. 30,000? 30,000 men. Some Braveheart shit. All but one guy. Dumal organized the men along military models and left poison bait and even had some soldiers dress as peasant women in hope of <laughs> you Watch it there, brother. <laughs> in hopes of attracting the beast, a reward for killing the beast eventually equaled a year's salary for working men. For men like Dumal, the hunt was a way to redeem his honor after the war. There were many signs of wounded masculinity among the lead huntsmen. He had a highly sensitive regard for his own honor and had some bad experiences in the war. And so he looked at this challenge of defeating the beast as a way to redeem himself. He's basically Gaston. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the press also created popular stories out of the women and children who survived attacks by defending themselves, emphasizing the virtue of peasantry. Take Jacques Portifax, the young boy and a group of children who were out in a meadow with a herd of cattle on the day of January 12th, 1975. As they were out playing, the beast had attacked. Working together, they managed to scare it off with their pikes. Portifax's courage alone was so admired that King Louis XV paid a reward to all the children and had the boy educated at the king's personal expense. <laughs> Could you imagine and a kid... I just saved the whole village from a werewolf. Oh, great job, kid. Now let's go to school. Hear ye, hear ye. This small boy shalt be educated. You said January 12th, 1975, which uh, was this century. It's uh, 1765 for the listeners. Oh, you didn't know that France still had a king? Yeah. <laughs> God. Look, numbers are hard. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a statue of Marie-Jean Vallée, who was attacked on August 11th, 1765, who managed to defend herself and wound the beast, earning herself the title of the Maiden of Gévaudan. Today, a statue still stands in her honor in the village of Auvers in southern France. You gonna get a picture of that? Ooh, I might. I'm not gonna go there anytime soon. Individuals may have had some success defending themselves, but official hunters had none. In February 1765, the De a father and son hunter duo from Normandy, announced they'd travel to Gévaudan 
to eliminate the beast. Jean Charles, the father, boasted he had already killed over 1,200 wolves. <laughs> Relevant information assuming the predator was, in fact, a wolf. But no one is sure of that. Everybody said it's much bigger than a wolf. Its snout was somewhat like a calf's. had very long hair, which would seem to indicate possibly a hyena. Now, our friend Dumal described the animal as being even more fantastical. In his words, the beast was as wide as a horse, a body as long as a leopard's, and fur that was red with a black stripe. Mohawk, you, tight. <laughs> you'll undoubtedly think, like I do, that this is a monster hybrid, the father of which is a lion, but what its mother was remains to be unseen. Other witnesses claimed the beast had supernatural abilities. It could walk on its hind feet, and its hide could repel bullets, as it had fire in its eyes, and come back from the dead more than once, with amazing leaping abilities. Whatever the origins or appearance was, the hunters were determined to score their prize. But again and again they failed. The Denevals eventually gave up, to which point the king sent his own gun-bearer and bodyguard, Francois Antonet, along with his son and a detachment of men. Francois traipsed around the forest countryside in search of the beast, and at last, in September of 1765, he shot and killed a large wolf. He had the body sent up to the court of Versailles, receiving a reward from King Louis XV, and accepted the villagers' gratitude. Here's some more education. <laughs> <laughs> you, son, you should go to college. <laughs> However, two brief months later, the attacks began again. For another 18 months, something continued to stalk the villagers of Gévaudan and reported that 30 to 35 fatalities had happened in that period. That's a long, oh. that's a lot of vital fatalities. Yeah, dude. Fatalities. Fatalities. In 18 months. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. That's that's like, what, six a day? I don't know. Again, math is hard, but... Yeah, I don't math. Yeah, me neither. Not even once. The king believed the beast had already been slain, so he offered little aid. With no assistance coming from Wait, outside... Wait, So people are dying. Huh? Uh -huh. It can't be the beast. It was already killed. Figure it out. Can't be the beast. He's done stuffing right here. Yeah. God, what an idiot. Got his feet up on it like a footstool. Yeah. So with no assistance coming from the outside, the locals took matters into their own hands. An option that may have been wiser from the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of sending out fucking countless Gastons. Yeah. Since the previous hunters were unfamiliar with the landscape and had trouble communicating with the locals. Local farmer Jean Chastel had been involved in a previous hunt, but was thrown in prison by Antoinette, by Francois, for leading his men into the bog. But his past crimes were turned to bygones when he himself managed to at least bring the creature down with a single bullet on June 19, 1767. Whoa. This was the end of the savagery, but it did little to end the answers of the burning question. What was the beast? Some people believe it to be a large, long-haired red hyena. Others believe possibly a red mastiff dressed in a reinforced boar's hide. Historians and scientists have suggested it was an escaped lion, a prehistoric holdover 
or even that Chastel himself had trained an animal to attack people and deflect attention from other crimes, meaning he trained this dog to go out and attack folks while he could go off and do burglaries and other assaults <laughs> on people, but it would be small potatoes because, by God, we got a fucking werewolf. That's Others believed <laughs> that it had a more simpler explanation. This was a serious wolf infestation, not a single wolf. In other words, there may have not been one single beast, but a whole tribe of many large wolves attacking in isolated communities. And that would be the Scully approach. <laughs> right. Wolf attacks occurred throughout France during this period. It's estimated that wolf attacks caused as many as 9,000 fatalities across the country between the end of the 16th century and the beginning of the 19th. What made the attacks in Gévaudan memorable even today, though, were their violence and higher-than-average fatalities, as well as the press's ability to turn them into riveting national stories. Because even 250 years later, since the Beast of Gévaudan last stalked the forests and fields of southern France, it's a fairy tale like story that looms largely today. Pretty cool. So, so Steve, what do you think? Werewolf? <laughs> I dug that. It was more like a his like history lesson. Uh-huh, Not so much uh-huh. like uh you know, the the what movies we get nowadays. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I pulled a Buster Rhymes on you and switched it on you. Yeah. Speaking of him, he's got a new album coming out and it sounds oh, snap. Awesome. unintentional so, plug. But yeah. well, I'll um, it's a sequel and to that, Steve, album, is why you should go watch Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to see it because you were talking about that movie. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting. I, I really yeah, I thought it. it's kind of cool, man. It's not necessarily a specific monster story. It's not specifically a true werewolf, but we don't know what it was. And I like I like picturing that time period too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, well, if you want to get a really good visual aid, you can watch a boring ass movie called The Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Preston, you really enjoyed that movie, which means maybe I should rewatch it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, for for many reasons, you know, I, I enjoyed that that movie. So, one, it, it's a very accurate take historically what happened. So that, that movie is not portraying the creature as an actual werewolf. So a lot of what you described um, takes place in that movie. And then um, just cinematically, like the shots, the camera angles, um, like the, the atmosphere that they create with like the rain and, you know, the coloring of the scenery, like uh-huh. all combined, it's very, artistic driven movie and so if you're looking at it as you know a werewolf story it's very fucking lame um mm-hmm. if you're looking at it as you know a historical movie probably not that accurate they do take some liberties but if you're looking at it as like a piece of art like you know look at the shining and the way stanley kubrick set up shots and things like that mm-hmm. um it's a very beautiful movie and um, i really enjoy it well, I might give it another shot. Yeah, you know, maybe it was when you were a young twerp and didn't know Adams from assholes. So, and I, and I, I like the idea of just the wolf infestation. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, it's kind of got a real um, uh, Game of Thrones kind of feel to it. You know, there's mm-hmm. these dire wolves attacking this small town in France. What's a dire wolf? It's a wolf that's dire. 
<laughs> it, it, it's right. uh, it, basically it's just a, a you know instead of like a normal 150 pound wolf, um, dire wolves. Pounds. They were like 300 pounds, and you know they were probably like six feet long. Um, they're just bigger wolves that are now extinct. Nice. They're dire. Yeah. Yeah. I was quoting a South Park quote. <laughs> well, fuck you. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of quotes, to finish this out, I want to quote our buddy Joe. He said, as long as forests are dark, people will put a monster inside. He wrote, oh. he made that up? Nah, I think I think he may have read it somewhere. Oh, but damn. I was like, that's said pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty slick, isn't Either it? Either way, it's fucking awesome he brought it up. And it's the, it's the it's fucking good. truth, man. As yeah. long as you have dark, secluded areas, there's going to be a monster that gets thrown yeah. in there, whether it's real or just the imagination. And if, if you want to watch some really good... Um, werewolf reenactments uh paranormal witness had a couple like season one season two that sean and i watched and you know giggled about so you should definitely check those out well there you have it folks a little halloween horror for you also a little history lesson yeah everybody have a good halloween safe halloween i know it's kind of a bummer time right now and uh halloween doesn't feel like halloween but Try to be in the Halloween spirit of the ones around you. Watch some spooky movies. Talk about some scary stuff and listen to scary podcasts and music. And it can be an all right. Man, speaking of scary movies, I just ordered the Blu-ray from Amazon that has The Creature from the Black Lagoon and the two sequels. The Creature Returns and The Creature... I think it's The Creature Walks Among Us, maybe? It might be the third one. But, yeah, I've, I've embarrassingly never seen Creature from the Black Lagoon, so... <laughs> We're going to watch that uh, Saturday night on Halloween. Nice, dude. Classics. Yep. yep. I'm excited. I, uh, today I got, uh, there's a website out there called fanflix.com. You go there, you sign up, um, and then these promoting places like Lionsgate and Warner Brothers, they'll get with this website and they'll put up like a list of like five or six movies and then you click whatever one you want for like really cheap, like two or three bucks, and then sometimes mm-hmm. they have bundle deals, etc. So today they had a Halloween one, three 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 horror movies for five bucks, and you could do as multiple Shoot, times you man, want to wow. get all of them. So they had um, Your Next, uh, Ghost in the Shell animated, which is I was like what? Okay, whatever. Um, scary Stories, but I already owned that one. Blair Witch, the Blair Witch reboot, remake, sequel thing, whatever they did. And a couple, mm-hmm. a couple other ones, but I don't know. It's worth it to me. It's fucking awesome. So, watch your scary movies. It's the perfect time, and continue it after that too. Yeah. Oh, Always. for sure, man. Halloween's year long, especially this year. Shit. <laughs> no shit, man. It's like it's so <laughs> weird. Like Halloween, and I'm not even dressing up. Like I've already decided. There's no point. Like I don't. I'm gonna be working on Saturday. But like Friday, mm-hmm. we kind of had something playing with somebody, but like it, there's just, there's no point. You know what I mean? I really want to dress up as Pennywise again. So hopefully. Yeah, it's, it's hard right now to again. really do any of that. So yeah, it's true. Yeah. But you know what? Sometimes you got to be hooby on Halloween and really just play it safe. Think about other safety. There you Steve, go, you actually lied to us in the beginning of the show because you said you didn't have a, like your favorite werewolf movie. And you quoted that Nazi zombie movie as it and got all confused. Mm-hmm. Hoopy Halloween is actually, if you think about it, kind of a werewolf movie. Oh. 
To be, <laughs> to be fair, you're right. To be, yeah. who be fair, who be fair. Mm. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, speaking of other horror movies, uh, this is again not a paid plug, but um, right now I don't know how long this goes for. You might hear this episode, and it might expire tonight at midnight. Uh, right now, Shutter is offering thirty one percent off if you pay for a full year up front. By using the promo code, oh, there might not even be a promo code. Shit. Damn, yeah, if you could check that? out Shutter.com, it's like forty bucks for a full year. I'm gonna jump on that tomorrow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. And they're getting a lot more exclusive stuff too. Yeah, they are. Joe Bob and uh, Darcy the Mail Girl just had their Halloween special, which is awesome. Um, a lot of a lot of exclusives. Um, Color out of shape is on there. If nobody's watched that, you should really check it out. It's a Psychotropic trip. That's what that's Nick Cage, right? Yeah. Is that one yeah. of the trilogy movies he's doing? Kind of. Like there's Mandy, yeah. uh, Color Out of Shape, and something else. They're not related to each other, but oh, they're classic. Guess what we get to watch this week? What's that? The new Nick Frost and Simon Pegg Paranormal. Oh, show. you're right. It drops Come, uh, on the 30th, yeah, Friday. On Friday. Shit, yeah. I hope it's good. The trailer looked kind of underwhelming to a degree. I've heard right. it's a little more serious. I've been trying to avoid everything yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I don't know. We'll go in there. People need to understand because you go to the comments on Facebook and they're like, Do you all watch anything these two are in? And we will too. But they need to understand yeah. that the magic isn't just them two. It's a lot of Edgar Wright yeah. as well. Yeah, I've got a lot of faith in it. Um I don't want to be let down. Yeah, but I, I mean <laughs> I like the me. concept and as long as you throw British comedy in it, I know I'm gonna love it. Yeah, man. And I mean, it's about paranormal investigators, so I'm, I'd like to say worst case scenario, it's still going to be pretty great. Yeah. I just, I what I don't want is I don't want to get hyped over Nick Frost and Simon Pegg to find out they are supporting characters at best. Ah, uh, indeed. But I don't think that'll happen because I think there's way too much um, promotional stuff with the two of them in it. I got a feeling, though, Nick Frost will take the lead. I don't think it's going to be a Simon Pegg vehicle. I think it's going to be Good. Nick Frost. <laughs> Centrific. Um, I love Nick Frost, and I it's I like to see his acting chops. If you want, I'll let you borrow his book. I've got yeah. both of them. Um, Nerd do well, and oh gosh, it's in it's in the bedroom. It'd be fun. Uh, I'd like. I I think I'd enjoy reading Nick Frost. I really want to get Carl Pilkington's books. Yeah, those would be good. Those would be really good. Acquire. Well, them. I mean, Simon's is really good, and it's got a lot of comedy in it. And Nick's Nick's is pretty dark. Hmm. He had a lot of uh, drama and trauma growing up. And hmm. so, yeah, I was ready for just a fucking laugh out loud, you know, gas gasser. And it was really kind of a sobering story to read about how he grew up and just his life. So nice. Yeah. Pretty solid book, but sounds pretty cool. Cool. Presto, you got anything to uh, recommend that people watch right now? Um. I got my daughter like hooked on Ash vs. Evil Dead, and I've been going back and watching that, and she's yeah. loving the shit out of that. So you have Netflix, and you haven't watched all three seasons of that, do yourself a fucking favor and go check that out. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking of the first scene in that in that show. <laughs> You're like, my daughter's watching it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, oh, well. that's true. But you know what? I do believe in... Um, I believe in censoring censorship. How's that, guys? Yeah. Censorship, to a degree, has its place. It is important. However, I think if you're going to expose your children to something like that, it's important you might be in the room for some of it. Yeah. You know? It's good for you, Preston. Right. 
Yeah. I, you, buddy. My, my first horror movie was Freddy Krueger when I was very young. And it just desensitized me to horror. So I wasn't scared mm-hmm. of it other than the alien shit, you know? So, like, it just didn't. Yeah. I don't know. I always find it really enjoyable when I find uh, that, like, oh, my kid likes this. My kid likes that. I think it's all. I think it's cool that Preston's kids, mm-hmm. Brady's kids like horror. I think it's great. I was more talking about him banging that chick in that fucking bath bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Not the monsters. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, she didn't watch that part with me, you know. Oh, good. I was already a few episodes in, so. Oh, okay. <clears throat> oh, but you got to show her the opening scene in that house. Ugh. Well, guys, listen to the rest of the shows on the Pixelated Sausage Network if you'd like. Check out 13 Nightmares. We're back, baby. Check out Anna Amazingly Baca. Check out Mark Solo's show, uh, Pixelated Sausage. Check out his Attack the Backlog. He just dropped a video about Friday the 13th and his experience playing that game. Otherwise, that's all I got. Steve, anything else to plug? Uh, Instagram, PXL Paranormal. And to go on there for like a little visual aid, the random pics, stuff like that. Uh, Facebook, Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Get on there. And... Vote. Very important. Oh yeah. Do do your duty. It's the one of the easiest and the most powerful things you could do as an American citizen. Yep. It's your right to vote. Whether you are voting for one guy or the other, or as an eighty year old man told me for the first time in his eighty years, he is not voting for anybody, but he is voting against somebody. So yeah, doesn't matter who you vote for, get out there and vote. A lot of people fought for your right. A lot of people have fought for uh, the country to stay as free as it is. So that's your right, and that's kind of your duty. Well, our buddy Joe Bob already took care of Big Dobbs. And normally <laughs> this is where I would plug Cuts by Colin, but I want to take a serious moment for a second. Yep. So our, our good buddy Colin does have some medical issues going on. Um, he has lost uh, sight in one of his eyes, and he's been in the hospital this week. So I just want to, you know, send out a warm, heartfelt, you're in my thoughts, deep down in my spooky heart, buddy, our little nugget. Colin is the tits, so I love you. Get, you know, get well, get better soon. Get back to cutting hair. Get back to, what do we always say, the razzle-dazzling people. (laughs) So uh, if you're listening, we love you, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you got to get better, man. Get back up on the horse. Definitely feel better, man. That's that's crazy. Let us know if we can do anything for you. Cool. All right. Well, check out our friends down at CD Trade Post at Pawnee and Seneca. Pop in and say hi to Leslie and the gang. Check out Fast Print on Harry and Rock Road. Gosh, I had other stuff to plug, and I kind of forgot what they were. Yeah, and with that... Uh, I think that's it for now, guys. Uh, I do want to ask this. If you have some listener stories, start sending them our way. I want to get another listener story episode put together. I got a couple kind of just sitting here marinating, waiting for some more to drop in. So shoot us your personal paranormal story. Oh, I got a little funny story real quick. Uh, So I went over to remember when Preston went and investigated the house with his brother and they heard the cat (laughs) and all that shit. Yeah. I went over to their house. They recently moved uh, to a really nice country home. And uh, I was like, all right, guys, you guys got any spooks going on? You know, like, they're like, no, not yet. They're like, thank God we got out of their (laughs) their place. Uh, So, yeah, they don't have anything in this. And then she's like, but I got stories for days. And I'm like, what? 
what's up? <laughs> and then, uh, so I, I'm going to talk to her about getting together and put getting on a microphone, some of her stories. So, oh yeah. Yeah. That'd yeah. be great, man. And if yeah, you're listening, I, I apologize for my brother, you know, <laughs> with your cat. No, they love, they loved it because they <laughs> yeah. love their animals. Like they thought it was the funniest shit ever. They're like, they're like, yes, yeah, real funny. Cause he said he thought he caught something. We were all excited. And then he was like, no, it was just my brother trying to steal your cat. <laughs> so good let's roll out happy halloween yeah happy halloween guys stay smart stay safe and stay spooky cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it stay on that paranormal highway baby oh i stole your part didn't i no I stole, not I, really i said i said stay spooky yeah nice then i said stay on the paranormal that's highway, weird baby. though i just i feel like i just fucking mowed your own your grass or something <laughs> <laughs> Alright guys, with that, I'd like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world And those of us who love to talk about it Now you say your full line so I don't feel so dirty And stay spooky And stay on the paranormal highway, baby The cast that Pixelated Paranormal Would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you Tales of the fantastical The strange The unknown Tales that will move you A little further down the paranormal highway if you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and 